0: We recently celebrated Father's Day, but few would question the importance of the father in the home. And yet, few would also deny that we're facing a crisis of fatherhood. We call God our Father, and if we can't understand what fatherhood means, uh, we will forever have a distorted relationship with God and with our wives and children. So today we're going to talk about fatherhood. We're going to talk about what it means and how we can be the fathers that God calls us to be. And we're joined today by Devin Shot. Thank you so much for being with us, Devin.
1: Yeah, thank you.
2: everyone thanks again for coming and joining us here at the catholic gentleman we are excited to have devin on the show we're also excited that you would join us uh, today if this is your first time tuning in on youtube be sure to click that subscribe button and also that bell um also we're on every podcast player uh out there so if that's your preference go over there and make sure you subscribe to us and we're grateful for you being here finally we're always looking to do more of these things for you, right? We want to continue doing memes. We want to continue doing blogs. We want to continue doing these podcast episodes. In order to do that, we need support from men like you. I want to thank all of our current donors and supporters. and want to ask you, if you want us to continue doing these to reach more men, please head over to patreon.com slash Catholic and discern uh, supporting us. So here we are with uh, Devin Shod, an amazing man, amazing father of five. He is the executive director of the Fathers of St. Joseph, which is an apostolate that labors for the restoration, redemption, and revitalization of fatherhood. So what greater guy to have on our show to talk about fatherhood. He is also the creator of the YouTube channel, The Catholic Father, both that uh, his books and his website are going to appear in the show notes, right? So if you're listening to this, definitely head over to CatholicGentleman.com, grab this podcast, and you can see all of that information in the show notes. Devin is the author, not only of uh, the leader of this apostle, but he's the author of 19 books on fatherhood or St. Joseph. He's the creator of the video series called Lead, The Four Marks of Fatherly Greatness, which I myself have gone through. It's incredible. It's incredible. We are going to talk about a little bit of that. We're also going to talk later on um, about his book, uh, Kustos, which is the consecration through St. Joseph. I'm also going to give away five of these. So you got to wait until the end of the episode and I'll tell you how you can be one of those five to get a free copy of uh, Kustos, which is really an incredible consecration to St. Joseph that Sam and I have both done. And we're both very grateful for Devin for having uh, spent the time to write it. So he lives in um, the Midwest with his wife and five children. And let's just dive right in. And Devin, thanks for being here.
1: Hey, it's great to be with you. What an introduction.
0: I mean, yeah, well yeah.
2: <laughs> you, you gave us the accolades
0: to uh to introduce. Uh, so Well, uh, we could have just shortened it to Devin is the man. That's right.
1: There's <laughs> only one man. That's Jesus Christ.
2: Devin, uh, the man, the father, the legend. Yes. Um,
1: yes. Man, I'm embarrassed. <laughs> yeah,
2: fine. Too fun. Well, to start out, Devin, I'd like to talk to you about your life prior to being this executive director and this author of all these books, right? Because that wasn't God's uh, or your uh, understanding of God's calling in your life early on, right? And um, a lot of the men that are listening to this episode are younger, you know, 18 to 35, and uh, some of them not fathers, some of them uh, new fathers. And then obviously we've got some seasoned people, but very few of them are working in the church or leading an apostolate. And so I'd love you to share a little bit about your story, about how God brought you um, from, you know, being a new father to what you're doing today with all the incredible works that you've um, created.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the first place to start is just that up to the age of 24, I was a very licentious um, man. I was a sinner. I was involved in all sorts of things that were deplorable. So, I mean, seriously, whether it was thieving or womanizing or partying or whatever it was, that was the focus of my life. And as a man, I think fundamentally, one of our first core needs is to be recognized for our strength. And that can mm. go both ways. That can be a good thing or that can be a bad thing. And and I think that in the world, to be recognized for your strength is to be physically strong, but then also to be a womanizer, to be able to drink more beer than the guy next to you, all that stuff. And, and so the culture teaches us to plow headlong in that way. And that's what I did. And I came up empty, uh, mm. very depressed, and uh, eventually even suicidal. But once I was married, um, I was still pursuing the world. I was very much a worldly man. Um, I surrendered my life to Jesus Christ at 24 um, and began to be very excited about my faith and come very alive in my faith. However, I was still wanting to start my own graphic design business. I was in graphic design and branding. Um, I wanted more money. I wanted to be successful by the world standards, mm-hmm. and so I, I went for the six P's. You know, there's prestige, prominence, power. You know, pleasure, profit, and possessions. And that's where my focus was. Even though I had Christ, and I thought, okay, I've got Christ over here, and I want this over here, and somehow it all work out. I'll go to mass on Sunday, and we'll figure it out. But it wasn't until our third child. Um, although I was going to daily mass, I was going to monthly confession, maybe biweekly confession, I was I was doing all that, and I was seeking the Lord, but it was when our third daughter was born at 28 weeks premature, it was just a life-changing experience because, first of all, she was fighting for her life. She ended up in a neonatal intensive care unit for about a month, um, which everything was fine. They just had to you know, get her digestive system, her lungs working and functioning properly, which they did, and then she came home. And within five days, she contracted a cold, RSV, which attacks premature infants' lungs. And so we whisked her back off to the hospital, but we could not admit her to the neonatal intensive care unit because we would infect the other babies. Mm-hmm. So we had to admit her to the pediatric unit, and they weren't prepared for a baby that small, that that delicate, and they even admitted that. And long story short, short nurse neglect, 10 hours of apnea, a hypoxic event, none enough oxygen was transmitted to her brain. She began to seize, have multiple seizures, and then by the time the Medivac team came in, got our manual life support, and shipped her out to a hospital two hours away, she suffered three clinical death experiences of permanent brain injury. So I packed one bag, drove to the hospital in the middle of the night. My wife got a babysitter for the next for other two children. She came the next day, and when she arrived, Anna Marie had a respirator pumping for her, breathing for her. She was swollen. She was unrecognizable because of all the you know, the IV and the liquids and the things that they were using to try to rehabilitate her. The alarms were going off because she was, her heart would stop. Doctors would rush in and try to save her life. And my wife couldn't take it. You know, she just looked at this and started sobbing. So I just need you to come home and be a husband and father. And for me, I thought I was already doing that. You know, I I was like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm already doing that. But I had one hand in youth ministry. I was very busy at the church. You know, anybody knows part-time youth ministry is full-time youth ministry. And and so I was doing that. I was trying to start my own business. I was working full-time around the clock for my current employer. uh, You know, I was very successful at that time for doing my job. And, and I was living in the world and for the world and didn't even realize that I wasn't actually fulfilling what I really needed to do, which Mm -hmm. was to be a real father and real husband. And that was, that was, that was very difficult for me to even comprehend, but I really tried to take her heat or a call, and yet I started languishing because I was—I found I was systematically giving up my dreams and my aspirations, which really was a pride detox. I didn't even realize at the time but that's what I was going through—is yes. a pride detox. You know, I was all about me, all about what I wanted to achieve, and yet God was humbling me and saying, "I need you to, you know, you know, I need you to focus on what really matters." eternally
0: Hmm. wow so interesting how (laughs) just listening to you like as a as a father myself just listening to you i could just i mean i'm feeling some of the intensity of those moments when you have this tiny little baby just born and it should be such a joyful thing and yet so much suffering in that moment as you are confronted with really that sense of helplessness that 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 desire to do something and yet realizing there's nothing you can do and and just all those powerful emotions just flooding in right there um and yet and that that moment of deep suffering like being really transformative for you yeah so i guess i'm curious how did things change for you after this profound moment of confronting uh your your need to be the father that you were called to be
1: yeah well um there's a couple things um i i actually tried to invest myself in paying more attention being present to my wife and my children i i was seeking the lord um one of the experiences i don't talk about very much that was really uh a turning point for me was uh, basically, when they were rolling Anna Marie—that's my daughter—who suffered this hypoxic event, um, they were rolling her across the tarmac uh, to the medevac helicopter. The head nurse said to my my wife and I, my mom and dad were standing there. She, she said, "This is our fault. We will do whatever we can to make this right." Mm-hmm. And they never say that. <laughs> they, they never say that. And um, and so, part of what was happening was. Over time, Anna Marie was actually confined in her body. She was literally trapped inside of her body. Her brain was not operating right. She would scream all the time like like, like she was demonically possessed. For the first three years of her life, it was just horrific. And in, in that, I was becoming bitter because I felt like they stole Anna Marie not only from her, but from us. We had this beautiful, normal daughter and they robbed her of us. And the more I thought like that, the more bitter I became. And my wife's sister, who is married to a a multimillionaire at the time, very wealthy man, he said, he called me up and said, Devin, I'll pay for whatever legal assistance you need to file a lawsuit against the, this is, you know, the hospital is a home run. You're going to need the money later. And the more that I considered that possibility, the more entrenched in bitterness and resent and anger I became. And also, which is very interesting, I began to distance myself from Anna Marie. And, the, and what was going on, I think, subconsciously in me was I was thinking, okay, if I file the lawsuit, that means that I, I'm not admitting that this is really my daughter here, the daughter that God wanted me to have. They took that daughter away, and now I'm stuck with this. You, you get what I'm saying there? I do. So, <clears throat> so I, began, I began distancing myself, even without recognizing from Anna Marie, which meant I was distancing myself from my vocation as a father, my actual role what what's really supposed to define me and um and as i became more entrenched in my bitterness i spiraled into kind of like this depressed state and i remember calling out to god saying god i just need you to deliver me from the depression from the darkness and it was like this message came in and i'm not one of these guys say god spoke to me and all this but the thought came to me forgive them and i was like forgive who forgive the nurses and the doctors and i was like no way I'm not doing that. And so I let it go for a little longer. I became worse. And finally, in a moment of desperation, I called the head nurse, the gal who said that we will do whatever we can. And I explained to her who I was. I explained to her that I was thinking about filing a lawsuit, but I said, I'm relieving you of your debt. And that was the moment that I began to actually spiritually adopt and embrace Anna Maria as my own because we're all biological fathers. And yet, as fathers, the real call is to be like St. Joseph and claim the child as our own, you know, as the Romans did, suchepsio, they would bring the child after the birth, they'd lay the child on the the ground, and the father would take him to the chest, the child his chest to claim the child as his own. And so at that moment, I realized I was claiming Anna Marie as my own. Now, it was gradual. It took time to get over the bitterness. But what happened was a healing process of really becoming a real father, you know, embracing like God the Father, those who are helpless, those who are little, those who can't function on their own, those who are needy. And that really began to change me. But nevertheless, I still was struggling in just my in life. And a friend of mine saw that I was languishing, and he offered to take me on a pilgrimage halfway around the world to Medjugorje. And I know there's a lot of contention about Medjugorje, and I'm, so I don't really want to go there. But I can tell you, when I was over there, two things happened to me. No spinning suns, no miracles, nothing like that. But two real events that were very personal. One was we were led by a guide. Her name was Nancy. She was the interpreter for Father Yozo. And Nancy, I was talking to her. I was told her I had this burning desire to serve the Lord, but I didn't know how to really live it out, how to actuate it. And she said, are you married? I said, yes, I'm married. And she said, are you a father? Yes, I have three children. And she said, go home and be St. Joseph. And you think that would have like really encouraged me, excited me, but it actually hit me like kind of wrong. Like you know when you ding, it's like doesn't sound right, and but it sounded right. It sounded wrong but right. It was like you mean the guy who's like really old, he's got a tonsure like for his haircut. You know he's hanging, you know huddled over a staff to hold him up. He's in the shadows and he loves lilies. I, that doesn't sound too exciting for me, you know. And 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 then she, and then another thing happened. I went to confession <laughs> and I went to a Dominican friar. And I was explaining to him this struggle, this tension between being a father and a husband and wanting to be successful at my job and maybe even, you know, stay involved in youth ministry. And he said, you will become a saint by means of your vocation, not outside of it. And that was like, boom, wow. Okay, so the goal of the Christian life is to be a saint, which means to live in utter communion, total communion with God, to actually have the Trinity living in you so you can live in the Trinity for all eternity. And if I want to do that, it's by the path of my vocation. And I realized that is the path to glory. And either I stick on that path or I, I just have to say the same thing, you know, becoming living in communion with God, forget it and move on. And so that was a big turning point. So I went home after that trip and I carved out, I had an old 1914 arts and crafts style house. and I had a rustic act, mm. took that attic and turned it into a chapel. And I began to pray and just wait on the Lord. And then suddenly what was happening was I was getting these insights about fatherhood through the lens of St. Joseph by comparing him to patriarchs. And I'm not a theologian. Yeah. I'm not an academic or scholar. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to theological school, but something crazy was happening. And so I kept writing and sharing it with my friends. We had a writer's group and uh, <clears throat> pretty soon these writings constituted four volumes of Joseph's Way. And a friend of mine, I was sharing it with him. He shared it secretly without telling me with a publicist. The publicist secretly shared it with Ignatius without telling me. And Ignatius calls me one day and says, hey, we'd like to publish your book. <laughs> wow, that's that's incredible. So, yep, there you go. And, uh, and so at that time when all this was happening, we had tried to start a little group. We thought we were going to start a little group called the Fathers of St. Joseph, five to seven guys locally to go through that book. <clears throat> but what happened was, The first meeting, we had like close to 40 guys. And I recognized there's this massive hunger to figure out what this fatherhood thing is, what it really means to be a man. And then pretty soon, there were other chapters and people all across the nation in the world wanting to get in on this, and we weren't ready. And so now we're playing catch up to try to, I guess, be a part of this huge movement that we all see, Catholic gentlemen, Exodus 90, all these people are participating in this huge movement to heal the masculine heart to get them in touch with their true divine sonship so that they can truly be spiritual fathers. And so that's, that's kind of like the, uh, the macro view.
2: Yeah. <clears throat> wow. I I'm a little thank you for sharing your story for being uh, vulnerable. I, I did want to know just because it helps me what you said you were 24 and then how long Would you say that um, God was working in your brokenness to bring you to something greater and and to, you know, between um, when this happened to your daughter and then when you were able to um, accept her, you know, and, and adopt her, as you said, spiritually to bring her in. Um, what was that what was that time frame? Were we talking months or years? Um, you know, just that helps a lot. So, so
1: yeah, the period of healing from the age of yeah. 24. Well, what's today? <laughs> 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 no. So I mean, yeah, I mean, that's partially real, but yeah, so at the age of 24, had the conversion, got married at the age of 25, I believe, and then um had the first two children when I was 28, 29, and then Anna Marie came when I was 30. Yeah and then it was between year 30 and year 33 of my life where the everything got turned over i lost when Anna Marie, when Anna Marie was on life support i lost my job highest paid man in the corporation they sold the company i came back a new owner said who's this guy and they deleted me and then i was diagnosed with malignant or with cancer um, and so like my whole world was just literally being flipped out and I felt like God was really taking me to the shed. And this is very important because at that time I was really wrestling with the idea of, you know, is God really a loving father? You know, who am I? And I started to feel like, do I have a target on my back? Is God against me? Or does he even hear my prayers? Is he neglecting me? You know, or have I been created to be a Judas a scariot? Mm-hmm. You know, what's what's going on? And so I was really wrestling with the most fundamental battle that I think every man really ultimately wrestles with is: is God my Father? Do I really believe this with absolute certainty? So much so that, as a divine son, as a son with the divine presence living in me, I'm willing to empty myself of finding value in the world and what fallen men tell me—fans, followers, likes, and all that stuff—and really just trust that by emptying myself of any attachment to worldly glory, that God's going to take care of me.
2: Yeah,
1: and actually. I was I, I don't I don't know if I've ever said this in a in an interview, but <clears throat> I was in our guest bedroom and I was really struggling very badly uh, to the point where I was I was very desperate emotionally. My wife didn't know. And I'm like, God, you got to speak to me because I really feel like you're against me. And there was a Bible there. And I I, you know, I did the old trick where you close your eyes and you open it up. You know, you put your finger on something <laughs> and it was Romans eight. And it said, God did not spare his only son for us. What more would He will he give us? I mean, what, what wouldn't he give us? And I realized at that point, I'm like, yeah, wait a minute, wait a minute. God has given his only son and his son in agreement sacrifice sacrificed himself for me. Anything else I want is just icing on the cake. So God is not against me. In fact, he's laid down his life for me. I got to get this into my mind and into my heart, into my soul and begin living from this truth and really become a trusting son. And that's the beginning of becoming a trustworthy father. Mm -hmm. That it was during that season that that's, that's when things really began to click and change.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. I, I think it's so interesting that this, this, uh, moment of transformation that involved a tremendous amount of suffering to the point where you really thought God was out to get you happened at the, the ages of 30 to 33. And I, I oh, know yeah, that, I never thought about that. Yeah. So, you know, our Lord's lifespan, uh, wow, that that's was, touching.
1: man, like, that rocks me.
0: Wow. Yeah. Well, and and I've, I've seen that in my own life because I'm 33 <laughs> now and I've <laughs> been through, um, some difficult things in the past, of three years, and it's, it can be a moment of transformation for us if we embrace that. Um, but I also um, am, wow. am just um, really uh, impressed by the, uh, the length of time. You know, a lot of times you hear stories of conversion or, or turning points in people's lives, and it's just one instantaneous moment. Like, oh, you know, the, you know, saw light from heaven and everything changed, you know, and, and, um, yet you really had to wrestle. Uh, God didn't oh, give yeah. it to you easily. And, oh, yeah. But, um, uh, I, I kind of want to, uh, pivot just a little bit. Um, still very much related to everything that you're saying. Um, but you're talking about this idea of is God good? Does God <laughs> love me?
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And, I would say very, very many men have that question in the back of their mind. We say, you know, we call God our father. um, And we maybe have heard priests preach on this before or heard people talk about like, well, God is a loving father. And, you know, but for many, many men, the word father does not conjure up warm, fuzzy images of love Mm -hmm. and affection, Mm -hmm. um, guidance and care. On the other hand, it's either he wasn't there at all. He was, ext- or if he was there, he was emotionally absent. He was extremely hard on me. Um, you know, lots of negative images related to fatherhood in our yes. culture. There's a deep wound, and so when we, when even when we call priest father, it can conjure up negative images rather than mm-hmm. than positive images and feelings in us. So I guess our looking at the crisis of fatherhood in our culture and the deep wounds around even the word father. Yeah, we're supposed to be celebrating, you know, we just celebrated Father's Day. Everyone's supposed to be all positive about it. But a lot of things, times I think it's more bitterness and resentment and yeah. doubt than it is security in that identity as a son. So I guess my question, I'm sorry if that was a long introduction, but That's my great. question is how can we redeem, you mentioned this idea of redeeming fatherhood. How can we begin to heal this wound around What the word father means, what does, especially for men who don't know what a good father looks like, maybe they never had one in their life, Um, and and they want to be that, they're hungry to be that, and they want to believe that God is good, but where do we start? Like where can we begin to redeem this idea of fatherhood and what does it mean to be a good father? I know those are huge questions, but I know you've done a lot of thinking about this. Wow.
1: Wow. Wow. They're huge. Yeah. We could talk for days about all of that. Um, Where do we begin? I think the only place that we can really begin is with Jesus Christ, who's the definitive revelation, the fullness, the image of God, right? Of God, the father. So that's where we have to begin because the Jews, Kind of got this whole image of God thing screwed up, and it, it, it was getting out of control. And then Jesus comes on the scene, and I think I think that for me one of the, one of the things that kind of changed the way I thought, and without going into the Jesus thing right now, would be I started to think, what if God? Now now, hear me out on this. What if God was actually Satan? <laughs> Okay. So, so it was like a little bit of an exercise. I was like, okay, so God would be undependable. Um, he, I just wouldn't know he'd be schizophrenic. One day he'd be saying this, the next day he'd be saying that. He'd be using and manipulating me, holding out trinkets, but then tricking me in order to torture me. Uh, he, if Satan was God, he would use me all the time. Um, and he would not really share his glory unless he wanted to extract something from me. Um, so I'd be a pawn. I'd be objectified. Uh, He definitely would not be generous um, unless it was a way like a totalitarian regime where the dictator only shares his power to increase his power. And so uh, that exercise really took me into a place where I realized, I'm like, wait a minute, God does not hoard his glory. He shares his glory. That's all through scripture. I mean, 2 Thessalonians 2.14, I think, says um, that we are made to partake in the richness of God's glory. Um, that's St. Paul, and that we are called to be co-heirs with Christ, right? So God wants us to share in his glory. God is self-giving love as expressed by Jesus Christ, who willed that he would sacrifice himself for mankind in agreement with Father the Fa- And this is, this is key. I think we really get confused, even as Catholics, that we think that God the Father sacrificed his son. Mm. Like God killed his son. And it was like kind of like against Jesus' will. But as Isaiah 53 says, it was of his own will and decision to give himself. And, and Jesus is in, in the garden. He, he calls his father Abba. You know, like this is his tender cry of trust. Abba, you can do all things. So what's going on here? A father, okay, there's, it's beautiful. When we hear the first time of God the Father's pleasure in Jesus' son, where is it? It's at his baptism. Now, this is very important because we miss this. At Jesus's baptism, what has he done up to this point? I mean, seriously, like no public miracles. Uh, He has done nothing stupendous by the world, what the world would deem as stupendous or astounding, no great works or achievements. He's a humble son of a humble carpenter, uh, a son of a virgin handmaid, the lowliest of the lowly from the lowly village of Nazareth. I mean, Jesus was, according to the world, nothing. And yet God says, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And it was precisely at his baptism. What's the message? At baptism, the Holy Spirit came into Jesus' humanity. Jesus was already threaded and stitched to the Holy Spirit. But Jesus is showing us in his humanity what happens to us. At baptism, God the Father claims us as his own. And that is the reason he's pleased with Jesus. He's pleased with Jesus because he claims him as his own and says, this is my son. And not only that, but this son knows that I'm his father. And he trusts in that. And then the other part of it is, what did Jesus do up to this point? Well, we find out in, in uh, yeah, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, though he was in the form of God, and the Greek word form is not schema, which means to change, it it's not a changeable form it's it's morphe which is a essential unchanging form though he was essentially unchanging God he is God he did not deem equality with God something that he clung to so he emptied himself of all the glory that was associated with his God godliness his God the Godhead and he empties himself he becomes in human appearance a slave a servant taking on human appearance And he becomes obedient, obedient on the cross. So what's going on here? God, the father is pleased with his son because he doesn't look to the world's glory and exaltation for his identity. He looks to the father for his identity and he sees that God loves him. And so he loves God. And so he does not depend on fallen men to dictate his value. In fact, he says, I do not receive the glory of men. I don't need that. That's John seven. So the key here is God the Father is pleased with us for two reasons. Because we are his. And that's hard for us to hear because as men, we're doers, we we're we're goal oriented, we want to prove ourselves and so we feel like we always got to prove ourselves to people in authority, whether it's mm-hmm. our employer, our parents, our priest, God. But right from the get-go God is pleased with us simply because we are his, just like I'm pleased with my children, not for anything they do, but because they're my. you know, that's really important. We got to get that through our thick skulls. The second thing though, is he's not impressed with our accolades, our honors and our achievements and all these great things that we do. Hey, Devin, you wrote another book. Great. Good job. No, he doesn't, that, that, that he's not concerned with that. He's concerned with our emptying ourselves of our attachment to human glory that pleases him so much. Mm. And so the reason why we have this yearning for human affection, glory, validation is because we actually don't believe that the father has chosen us, desired us. So we look for it somewhere else and we try to fill that void when it's actually the answer solves that problem where we actually go to the father and trust that he is Abba, that he does love us, he has chosen us, he has a plan for us. Then all of a sudden longing for human glory dissipates. And then we can start to feel the freedom of being a son of God. And I tell guys this. I'm like, you know, you want to you wanna start to have a relationship with God the Father, no matter what your woundedness and your trials and your sufferings are. Every morning, get up and thank God the Father that you are his son. And mm. call him Abba. Because this is what Paul says in Romans 8. He says, if we live by the Spirit, if the Spirit is in us, we cry out, Abba, Father. Okay. And and so that Abba is this tender cry, which Jesus had in the garden, in his worst of moments, knowing what was going to befall him, torture, horrific pain. He calls God Abba. He trusts him. And what happens? God glorifies the son. He gets him through it. And then he raises him up in glory. And that's what God will do for each of us. If we can start every day thanking him that we're his sons, believing it, thanking that he's our Abba father and calling him Abba father, daddy. That's a starting point.
2: Yeah. I think that's terrific. And I i think about the many conversations I've had with um, nominal Catholics or men who have this deep father wound that Sam's talking about and um sometimes it's difficult to relate because some men have their pride plays over and so they um they have this idealized notion of what it means to be a father and that could include uh not kissing your son because that's not masculine um yes. you know not telling him uh i love him because he just needs to learn that life is tough you know um and hmm. and i i i really appreciate what you're talking because you see very clearly that it's it's the father wound in their own life that is creating this parody of a, of a father um, and who they are to to their children and that challenge that you just mentioned is so great you know is is really dive into who who they understand God is and. And how do they understand that God is um, an individual that wouldn't kiss his son and wouldn't uh, wouldn't uh, tell him he loved him enough, you know, because that's just honestly perpetuating the father wound, as we know. But um, but I love that challenge of, you know, tell him to wake up every day, you know, just get give a week, you know, wake up every day and thank God. Yeah, exactly. They exactly. If that's too much. Just just do it a day or two. And um What a great uh, um, suggestion. What a great challenge uh, to, to ourselves included, anybody who's listening, right. I feel like I need to do this. I had a great dad, so I'm, I feel very blessed. Right. Um, I've told Sam and I have talked about that, talked about it in a previous episode. You know, I had a really great loving father who played football with me and soccer with me, you know, nonstop. He was, he was always present. And, um, um, and so Uh, I'm very grateful and blessed uh, because of that. But, um, but yeah, to, to even probe a spiritual depth, right. Um, Of what it means to be a Catholic uh, dad, you know, what it means to be a Catholic father, uh, which Mm -hmm. is so different than uh, what the secular um, uh, image of a father is. And in fact, Evan, I'd like, I'd like you to talk more about that because we do um we see the fatherlessness in our culture and there was some comment wars on the last time we launched a video on on fathers where you know these statistics are ungrounded and we don't live in a fatherless society um you know yeah and people there was a handful of people arguing that i'd like you to talk more on um on some of the you know the the government coming in as daddy and being the dad versus what we are called to be as a, as a Catholic father for our children?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, well, I think it like, okay, so the government puts on programs to try to speak to dads to get them to take a little bit more responsibility initiatives. So you got dad jokes, and you know, things like that, or dad dances, and their dedication billboards and all that's, I think all that from a natural level is good, you know, obviously. Yeah. However, we're missing the boat. And really what the, you know, like we call the, the, the silent big pink elephant in the room or whatever is that dad is called to be the spiritual leader. He's called, to, and and this is a swear word now, but he's called to be the patriarch, pa three, mm. father, arc above. He's, he's, he's literally called to, and and what do we what do we know about those who are given spiritual responsibility they lay down their life for the sake of others and and so the key here is no government program is ever going to solve the problem because that's basically like welfare fatherhood right the the only vision of fatherhood that will work is god's vision which is spiritual fatherhood which means that a man couples two things it is sacrifice and responsibility because like i believe that there's three stages to uh, manhood, and this is gonna be really profound. There's the boy, there's the man, there's a spiritual father. I mean, there you go. But but the the boy, he's symbolized by the kid on the the bike with the training wheels. Okay, he he will do anything to keep from being injured, to get his knees scabbed. He's like safety Sam, and and everybody, you know, waits on him. He's dependent on everyone for his survival. Okay. And so he's symbolized by the, the bike with the training wheels. Then you have the man. But the man figures out something that the boy doesn't know. And what is that? It's that he, if a little bit of suffering and sacrifice, he can actually exalt himself. He can get more. So he goes to college. He suffers through college to get a degree. He, he gets the degree. He gets a job. He suffers through work to get the promotion. He gets a promotion, so he suffers to get a career. And the he can get that house. And so he learns that there's this element of personal responsibility. Pay my car payment, pay my rent, and I become a man. But he's symbolized by the ATV, the four-wheeler, because it's all about fun. It's all about him, and no one else is riding with him. He takes responsibility for himself. But the spiritual father He's exactly the opposite of the boy. And he's symbolized by the 53 foot semi trailer because he knows something that the other two don't. And that his life is to be, he's responsible for his wife, for his children, for even his friend's salvation. He takes a certain sense of responsibility. And that's why he's a semi trailer, because he's hauling souls to heaven. As spiritual fathers, we understand that the core mission of our life is sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And that word sacrifice. It comes from the two Latin words, sacere and facere. So facere to make sacred, sacere is sacred, to make sacred. So we take whatever suffering responsibility, we set that aside to God and we say, God, it's yours. This is your sacrifice. Make it holy. Transform this water into wine. And so that's, so over time, the spiritual father realizes that this is not about me. This is about souls. This is about bringing life into other people's world, you know, bringing them joy, bringing them Christ. And when you, and what's interesting is he who loses his life not only saves it, but he gains it because he starts to rejoice in life. He starts to realize he has a vitality that he never had before in giving because it's in giving that we receive, right? So it, it's just amazing when we move to that third stage and we're brave enough to do that, we think that we're losing everything, but then we end up gaining everything.
0: Mm. Yeah, that, that's some powerful stuff right there. It really is. Uh, I'm
2: like gonna have to watch this again and reflect on <laughs> this <laughs> <So> profound. <nice. laughs> uh, yeah,
0: yeah, I've got a very practical question. Um, one that I think, well, okay. So that plays off, playing off of what you just said, the world's mentality is that power is to be, is for the purpose of being served the weaker serve the more powerful in the gospel paradigm. in the way Christ led was that the more powerful serves the weaker, the higher serves the lower, if you will.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Um, And he showed us this most powerfully at the last supper when he literally stripped off his clothes and like setting aside all his glory uh, symbolically and Took on the form of a servant, as Philippians said, and washed his disciples' feet. Mm. Um, and this was shocking oh. to them, even abhorrent to them. Yeah, their Messiah, their yeah. powerful one, all power is given to me on heaven and earth, and I'm going to serve you. They they just couldn't understand this. In fact, they were offended by it. I think, yeah. based on Saint Peter's reaction uh, in that moment, he was he was very upset. Um, and yet Jesus said, "If you don't let me do this, you have no part with me." Yeah. Um, but there is a sense in which we are placing ourselves at the service of our wife and children. Um, and this is the world is like neo-Marxism. They're obsessed with power. You know, like the, the, the power, power. If you have power, you are, you are inherently wicked. Um, <laughs> but we we have to reset that paradigm. Huh. And, and one way I, I, I I'm specifically thinking of doing this is with our sons. So I think one of the um, responsibilities of a father in the home is to challenge their sons, to push them, to help them overcome their own sense of self doubt in a sense, because I, I look at my boys and a lot of times they think I can't do that. Like when it came, you mentioned riding a bike, when it came to riding a bike, one, one son in particular, it was like, I can't do it. I'm not going to do it. You can't make me do it. You know, things like that. And, and I was just like, you can do it. You can do it. I believe in you and I'm going to challenge you. And then one day he went flying off and he was so excited, but if I hadn't challenged him and I hadn't pushed him, he, he probably still wouldn't be riding a bike. You know, it was just, there was, there was a responsibility there from you know, mothers are about nurturing and protecting fathers are about, maybe pushing them out of the nest and challenging them. But how can we do that? How can we challenge our sons while also kind of like the father, the father in the picture behind John there, show them that unconditional love that's not based on performance. So on the one hand challenge and push them and yet also let them know that no matter how you perform, I will always love you as my son.
2: Yeah. Well said.
1: Well, I think you answered your own question because that's what, I mean, that's what you do. I mean, like we, like I tell my children all the time when, when they do something stupid or they've made a mistake, I will make sure I'm like, do you think that my disappointment shows that I do not love you or that I love you less? Mm-hmm. And they're like, no, Papa. And I'm like, exactly the reason I'm disappointed is simply because I love you. You know, I love you and I care about you. I want you to be the best that you can be. I'm not a a militant about it. Like I just want my kid to be an Olympic, you know, athlete or anything like that. But then on the other side, when they have great achievements, I have to remind them that my pleasure in you, does that mean that I love you more because you did this? No, Mm. I love you because you are you. And yes, you please me. And yes, you disappoint me. But neither one of those things changes the fact that I already love you and i'm trying to continue to grow in love to love you and everyone else even more and and it's that it fundamentally they have to see this in our marriages because i think as men it, you know in marriage I, I don't know what it's like for you guys but um you know sometimes my marriage has rocky points mm-hmm. you know and and i think that sometimes why marriages have rocky points is because we don't believe we're getting what we think we should get mm-hmm. and i think a, a lot of guys i know in conversation this can be in the sexual sphere you know mm-hmm. intercourse um it can be in the act uh, the sphere of service it mm-hmm. could be in clean house whatever it is order um we, we're not uh, our needs aren't being addressed right but when our children see that we're so displeasured with our wives because of of we're not getting what we want then they inherently think that that's going to happen to them so we have to be really careful with our wives that we love our wives regardless of what we're getting from the marriage. In fact, my opinion is is the more that I put into the marriage, the more I get out of it anyway. And so so I think fundamentally you answer the question by what you do. You know, you're like, hey, I'm going to push my kid to be brave so my kid can be better than they are. But I'm not going to push my kids so much that I'm a domineering tyrant that I'm going to, hey, you failed. You need to keep doing this until you do it. You know, no. Okay, fine. You know, I'm not satisfied yet. But Let's just keep trying at this. But I think the key is, is as long as we assure them. I remember this woman who's just a saint in our area. She's had cancer twice. Her husband has died. Three of her sons have died out of the nine, and she's buried those guys. And she's the lady who makes the rosaries for everybody in our community, daily mass, or just a saint, just a little saint. And she's like a second mom to me. And I remember her saying, "Devin, now this might be scandalous, but she said you can discipline your children as much as you want as long as they know with certainty." that you love them. Mm. And I was like, you know, that's right. You know, not that I want to go off and beat my kids. But but the idea is, is they will accept the discipline, you know, that is to be discipled, to be taught, if they know with certainty, they have my love. Yeah. And so I just got to keep assuring them that physical touch, eye contact, wanting and desiring to be present to them, to take them out for coffee, take them out for ice cream, you know, go on that hike or that bike ride. But if they know that I desire them and want to spend time with them, they're going to know that their heavenly father desires them and wants to spend time with them. And that's where we break the chain. Because we've got a lot of fathers that, you know, didn't want to spend time with us or so we break the chain and we be that presence of that icon of God, the father to our children.
2: Yeah, it just flips uh, modern, you know, sociology and, and even psychology, you know, on its head. I would say because I just loved what you're saying. Um, how many times have we gotten into arguments with people about corporal punishment, right? And okay. you've got you know Catholic psychologists that say you have to answer before God. Um, if you spank your, your son, you know, Mm -hmm. like you're you're doing to the least of these. And (laughs) then, then you have, um, other great, you know, church fathers, uh, that talk about the importance of the scripture, you know, that talk about the importance of appropriate discipline. And we get into these huge arguments about discipline and, and it's led to believe that if, if you over discipline, you are going to either create a tyrant or you're going to create a child who is is doomed to go to jail because they're going to rebel <laughs> and tell their, you know, and, and uh, against all sorts of form of a semblance of, of decency yeah. and order and structure, right, which is so important in God's plan. And, um, but, but your comment on the importance of love, and I would say the abundance of love, um, you know, is the priority, right? I mean, that's the, that's our call right there is to, to love more and to, to make sure that they love. I just, um, um, I try and do that myself with my, my daughters all the time. And I respect you for your daughters as well. In fact, I'm going to ask you a question here that uh, I've been wanting to ask you, but because I'm too busy, so we're going to bring it up, um, here. Uh, is here, um, is that, uh, one of the difficulties that I have run into and in trying to spiritually form and raise my children is their, um, I would say their age and their ability to, uh, appropriately reason. And, um, and so I'm going to give a very concrete example, uh, praying the family rosary. And so we pray the family rosary as a family every day. And I've got five kids, nine and under, and, um, you know, they all pray along with uh, but very often, they're so easily distracted, or they want to get into a fight, or they want to, um, you know, pull their uh, siblings rosary. And that just Totally messes me. Um, I get kids. <laughs> yeah. They just want to be kids, and I just I very much want like this little cloistered like you know yeah. we're all on our knees yeah. and we all we're all praying and stuff like Legitizing. that. The, exactly, exactly. And and that desire being ripped from myself, I find myself losing my my patience while in the rosary. And my biggest concern is that I'm chasing my kids away from the joy oh, yeah. and the necessary of praying the rosary um because they see me get angry once or twice a week in the rosary and then discipline. And I'll try, you know, three strikes, you know, and the third strike you go to bed and, you know, and these sort of things. But I want to just open myself up to you and, and cause you have such uh, amazing children and, and I know that, um, you know, very spiritually oriented, uh, holy women. Um, and, and I want to talk to you about that stage that so many of myself and so many of our listeners are in where, you know, we just can't get our kid to stay focused um, (laughs) long enough to get through a decade, let alone a rosary. Um, the thoughts you have? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay, man, there's so much there. Um, Okay. So there's two laws that I I try to use. And I mean, laws in a a broad sense, the law of gradualness and the law of attraction. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by this is that um, a lot of times like, okay, so I'm 50 years old. And I th- look back at my life over these 50 years, you know, the rosaries, the prayers, the suffering, all of this in the, in the meager amount of redemption that I've eked out by God's grace at this point is so minimal. And yet when I look at my children, I look through that lens and expect them to be there. Uh, what am I doing? I'm placing, I'm placing my own level of where I'm at on them when it took me 50 years to get here, right? And I think, so we have to accept that there's a law of gradualness, just like there was with us, where they gradually come to love the faith. And the only way that they'll come to love the faith, in my opinion, is by the other law, which is a law of attraction. And so what is not attractive is, you're gonna pray the rosary, you're gonna sit still, and you're gonna like it. And, and you know what? You're going to be holy, you know. And, <laughs> and, and, and the kids are like, "Come on, if you know? only."
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: But so, so for me, I try to I try to balance it with these two things. I know we've had the mandate from Our Lady, uh, you know, Our Lady of Fatima, pray that Rosary daily. And I, but I think that that beautiful Rosary, which is a chain that binds Satan, as we hear in Revelation, can mm-hmm. become such a burden to our children because I, I remember right. There's two two. Uh, accounts that really floored me. There was a dad who I really respected and I was I went to an event with him and his family and it, they were driving back and it was time to pray the rosary. And so each kid had a decade. And it was like, I was listening to Irish auctioneers. <laughs> These kids were going a mile and I mean, just so fast, 50 miles an hour with their rosaries. And I couldn't even pray. I couldn't even say the second half fast enough before they got to the next bead, you know? And And then there was another man I know that his kids, he had a lot of kids and when they pray the rosary at night and he'd yell at his kids to kneel up because they get lazy and whatever, kneel up, kneel up. All those kids fell away, every single one, teenage pregnancies, drug addictions, you name it. One of them even uh, was, just long story, prisons, everything. Because there's no law of attraction there and there's no law of gradualness. So, personally, what I've done over the years, one of the things is the rosary becomes a bunch of words to our kids if they don't know what the heck is going on. And so, what I did was I just started praying a deck like, okay, I'll pray my rosary on my own, but I'll pray a decade, a real decade, really praying with them, a scriptural decade. So, hey, let's enter with Jesus in the agony garden, holding our lady's hand. And so, the first. Beat is, you know, Jesus took his disciples to the guarding assembly, asked them to watch and pray. Hail Mary. Pray that you may not fall to temptation, for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Hail Mary. Jesus goes forward a stone stone, falls prostrate on the ground, his sweat becomes his drops of blood. Hail Mary. And the kids are visualizing what they should be, which is Jesus Christ. They're there. And then they walk away from that decade. Man, I think I kind of encountered Jesus. And, you know, they may goof around and they may not be paying attention, but you know what? It gets in them that that they, they start to follow Jesus's life through that rosary. And then you can build up the two decades and then you can take him out for ice cream afterwards. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like everything that we do religiously, like if we're going to take him to daily mass, hey, once in a while, surprise him, take him out for coffee. If you're on the St. Feast Day that they're named after, take them out and celebrate, you know, have a have a party at home, whatever. But we need to couple these religious experiences with experiences that are fun and enjoyable. So the child says, man, what, after they got older, that piece of cake that I'm eating right now reminds me when I was 12 years old and we celebrate my feast, my saints feast day, you know, or man, I love going to coffee with my dad after daily mass. You know, so I'm gonna continue to go daily mass. I love the rosary because I remember my dad would talk or recite the scripture and bring me along in that mystery. And I encountered Christ through that, Hmm. the law of gradualness and the law of attraction. We cannot expect them. Literally. I can't expect my, Oh, my daughter's 10, even my 10 year old, I, I, I can expect her to sit still through a rosary, but can I expect her to be a mystic?
0: No. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Amen
0: that that is uh that is a those are great principles uh, extremely practical and i that's very much our philosophy in our family too um is is they have to learn to love what is good uh mm-hmm. it cannot simply be forced upon them um but I, I i view it very much as planting spiritual seeds yeah that even though in the short term um they're just kids someday we're we're hoping that the love that they associate with these practices of devotion will bear fruit and a desire to practice them themselves. Um, and already, you know, we, we were, uh, had our church picnic the other day, uh, and, we couldn't find one of our sons and we went in inside the parish looking for him and he was in the chapel praying. Um, And, and that's the kind of thing though, that, that is, you can't force, you can't force that. It's, it's, it's brings so much joy to a parent's heart when you see your child, your child embracing the faith, but it can never be something that's done through coercion or through um, violence or any other means. Um, and as parents, we long to see our kids embracing the faith wholeheartedly. But the whole key there is wholeheartedly. It has to be something that springs from the heart and not yeah. from um, some sense of, of obligation or drudgery. Yeah. Um, it must be something that that is filled with joy and with love. Yeah, and so that means that We have to
1: be really connected to God. We have to be connected to Jesus Christ. We have to be alive with Christ because you can't give what you don't have. And so the pressure is on us. And you know, and I I can hear like maybe some people coming back going, oh, you guys are just a bunch of wimps and you're just like the baby Mm -hmm. kids. Give me a break. You know what? Discipline with love, love with discipline. You get both right, you win the day. You know, there might be an outlier where the kid goes off and, you know, does some terrible things, but you know what? Hebrews tells us we got to discipline, you know, that because God, the father disciplines us, but you're right. God, the father does not coerce us. He does not manipulate us. He does not control us. So, so much so he lets us dictate our own yeah. path, you know? So I just, yeah, I love all that. I totally agree with it. But look, you're not going to win the day by being Stalin or Mao yeah. in your home. It may right. look good from the it, it may look good from the outside, but it's not going to look good from the inside. That's right it's not gonna
2: be real we have to really die to ourselves and that notion that yeah, there's that control right as men, right that desire to control the lives of our of our kids and <laughs> and my all my children are getting into heaven, you know, and it's gonna be this way and yeah. uh and we have to really die to ourselves and in, in that so yeah you no know, i I really appreciate that
0: yeah so i uh just another question to kind of wrap things up is just what would you say to fathers who perhaps don't have their wife on board i know Mm. that that's that is a real situation for some people maybe they 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 were falling away but then they've had a conversion and they're trying to lead their family they're trying to do the right thing they're trying to be the father that god calls them to be and yet Uh, surprisingly they're getting resistance from their spouse. Like how can, how would you handle that in a loving way?
1: Yeah. Um, Well, okay. So I know several men who are in that situation, really, like, really, it's real. And I know them personally. Um, And so I, I think that the examples that I see from them is this, what they have learned is they cannot try to control their wife. They can't go at their wife and try to make her holy and try to make her get with the program that only exacerbates the situation. Okay. So what they need to do, and they have done these men is they work on their own personal holiness. And, and it's very interesting. So in one of the situations, this mom is had it with the husband. He's too religious. He's too faithful. She wants to party. um, She wants to get together with her friends. And, and so, it's polarized the family, right? Well, this kid, one of the sons had to write a report on the most important man, male figure in his life. And so the mom was suggesting like, you know, all these other, you know, famous guys and all this stuff. And, and he went to his dad and he said, dad, I want to write this, I think uh, about someone who I really respect, um, maybe like a family member, but mom's telling me to write about all these other guys. And all this and he's like you know what just you you know you pray about it you know just do what you think you need to do he comes back he, he gives a report he reads it aloud in his classroom it's about his dad and you know what it was about his dad my dad loves god and is strong in that faith my dad lives the faith in a humble way he he dies to himself all this stuff that his he didn't even know his kid really recognized But he was living it in such a humble way. And his kid picks that up and says, that's the most heroic man in my life. I love that. And so the mom, what does she do? She reads this report and she's like, you know, she doesn't know what to think because she can't deny it. You know what I mean? And see, this is the key. I don't have to tell anybody how great I am. Either I am great or I'm not. I don't have to tell anybody that I follow Jesus. Either I do or I don't. And I think what our kids intuitively recognize, I can talk about Jesus all day long, but if I'm not loving Jesus, they know it. And so the way that a dad in that situation will win in the end, every time, is if he has a love for Jesus and it just comes out in the way that he treats his wife Way, even if she's disagreeable the way the way he serves his children the way he sacrifices himself the way he doesn't get preachy and angry and all that but he just humbly walks with the lord that man changes his children that man changes lives mm-hmm. and he yeah. if he prays and sacrifices for his wife and children because that's a spiritual component where god we can only do so much that's a human yeah. approach then god he comes in he takes all this work we're doing that water in those jars and he transforms it into divine wine, into grace for our family around us.
2: Wow. Well, that's yeah. excellent. I love it. So I want to spend a little bit of time talking about custos and um uh, I will start up by saying, okay, so to get a, a free copy of this, uh, go to, well, just send an email to info at catholicgentleman.com. Uh, Include your name and your mailing address. I'm going to basically close this off um, on Tuesday evening, and then I'm going to do a randomized drawing for um, five individuals. And so I also want to encourage you, uh, while we were on this call, I was thinking to say something about being in america only but that's not the case so if you are international please go ahead and enjoy i know we've got a huge percentage of men uh in australia and new zealand and england and poland and italy um so uh yeah, if you're one of them jump in send your name and mailing address info at catholic um and then i will do a randomized drawing and uh and we'll pass this but you don't know what you're getting yet. <laughs> so it's important for us to uh, talk yeah, yeah. to you, Devin, about this. So Sam and I have both gone through this consecration. Um, it's incredibly powerful for fathers. Um, it is uh really brought me closer to Christ, uh, through Saint Joseph, cr- closer to Our Lady. And so I'd like to talk to you, Devin, about your inspiration uh for writing this. Um, you know, some of the content that can be found. With Within it, and what your hopes are for um, men who engage in this consecration through Saint Joseph that you put forth in Custos. Maybe you can even start by explaining what Custos is. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those are a lot of questions. I'm like, wow. I know. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll, I, I've got them here, so I'll repeat them.
1: <laughs> yeah. So Custos is Latin for guardian, and so Pope John Paul II wrote an apostop letter on Saint Joseph. Uh, Redemptor is Kustos, the guardian of the Redeemer. So Kustos is St. Joseph. He's the guardian of the Blessed Virgin Mary. He's the guardian of the Christ child. He's the guardian of the Holy Family. But he's also the guardian, and this kind of is a little deep, but the guardian of the mystery of the Trinity being relived in the family, which is what we're all supposed to be. We're supposed to be all of that. Guardian of our wives, guardian of our children, guardian of the family, guardian of the mystery of the Trinity's self-giving love in our family. And so that's where we begin that. And so that's what Kustos really is all about being that guardian.
2: Awesome. And so inside, what can men hope to uh, find as they go through it?
1: Yeah. So back in 2012, I had this idea that I really felt because I had done the St. Louis de Montfort consecration to uh, our late, you know, Jesus to our lady. And I just really felt that it was so important that we consecrate ourselves to God, to Jesus through St. Joseph somehow. But it really occurred to me, and this is the fundamental difference with Cústos. There's a lot of consecrations to Mary, and there are consecrations to St. Joseph. But if we're going to do things like Christ did it, you notice in the temple, it wasn't just Mary consecrating Jesus to God. It wasn't just Joseph consecrating Jesus to God. It was these parents in the order of grace, Mary and Joseph, consecrating the child Jesus, doing for him what he couldn't do for himself at the time consecrating him to God the Father, setting him aside to be sacred for his holy mission. And so we go to Joseph in this consecration to be in union with Mary. So these parents in the order of grace will consecrate us in Christ, through Christ, with Christ to God the Father so that we can be set aside for a sacred mission unto the Lord. So what do we find inside? This is not a typical consecration. Um, And the reason it's not a typical consecration is because it's not just reflections okay, with questions or anything like that. It is literally like a boot camp, a spiritual boot camp with St. Joseph. So first of all, it's purely scriptural. Um, And what I mean by that is you're chronologically following St. Joseph, walking with St. Joseph through his life with the scriptures that pertain to him. And sometimes it's just a phrase that we're we're expounding upon. And so we're walking with St. Joseph for 33 days, but it's over the course of seven stages. And during each of the stages, there's associated uh, associated spiritual practices. And these spiritual practices, per each stage, you pick one to two, and then you begin to live them. And then they culminate. You don't just, after stage one, you don't just let those go. You add them to stage two spiritual practices, and then stage three. So by the end of stage seven, you're not only learning about St. Joseph, you're actually living. walking with St. Joseph, and you're developing a spiritual blueprint for your life, a way of holiness, a pattern of holiness, so that... At the end of day 33, you're not done with a consecration. You're actually beginning to live a consecrated life to God through these parents in the order of grace, through Mary and Joseph. And that's what we want. We want every man to begin to develop uh, specific spiritual practices. We've got 33 of them that really are universal for almost every father and husband, so they can really become a father on earth, like St. Joseph, father on earth, like the Father in heaven.
2: Amen. Excellent. And, um, and I can speak, uh, how it, touched me in such a way i'd encourage uh, men who feel like they have a devotion to the fatherhood uh, to fatherhood um uh priests as fathers um but i can speak very personally to a way as myself as a father um that it just was really calling me to holiness right practicing these sort of things on a daily basis was something that um i needed my daughters today actually asked me if i could go on a daddy-daughter date which i started yeah. doing to the, with them uh, a year ago when i was going through this and uh so even today and you know, i was just like i don't know i'm so busy no of course we will. <laughs> like, we'll like we'll, we'll we'll keep that going and so um let me thank you for um uh, yeah, for, for you know yeah absolutely and so please um i'm gonna put it in the show notes as well where you can get the book if um you're not one of the lucky five um, that are that are able to get this um, from us because I think every man should have this and and discern it and um, and utilize it so devin, anything else you'd like to share with our listeners um, about uh, your great work and your apostolate
1: yeah I mean if you if you want to become the spiritual leader that God is calling you and destined to be go to fathers and you'll discover that we have a plan you know outlined for guys and it's it starts you know the the intensity level is low uh, and then it builds up and and custos is a big part of that but i really would encourage guys i'm not saying it because i wrote this i'm saying this because i do this this works i mean this is my life like i literally live custos yeah. every day um and it has it has drawn me into a deep relationship with saint joseph but it has drawn me into the heart of the trinity and it's It's really showing me what it means to be a real man. And I'd encourage you guys just dive in. And even if you feel like you failed at it, you're one step closer to succeeding.
2: Amen. So, Devin, we're grateful for you being here. We're grateful for your time. Looking forward to getting this out to um, all of our listeners. And as we remind everybody, every time we
0: do one of these. Be a man, be a saint.